This is the Nearside Low Podcast, brought to you by Missouri Water Polo. For all highlights, scores, and updates, please visit www.mowaterpolo.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at Nearside Low. This is the Nearside Low Podcast, Season 4, Episode 3, with your host, Ray and Charlie. Today, folks, we have got a special guest set up for you. A big thanks to Ray, my co-host, and Miguel Figueres for helping us get in touch with this individual. He needs no announcement. Everyone knows who he is, five-time Olympian Tony Azevedo. He joins us, and we talk, obviously, all things water polo, including the Olympics, COVID-19, and the future of the sport. We hope you enjoy. Give it a listen. Thanks. And here we are, Nearside Low Podcast, and we've got a special guest, five-time Olympian, folks, Tony Azevedo. Tony, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here, man. We've uh, we all have so much to talk about, right? We're all we at home. do, we do, we do, we do. Uh, and obviously, I don't think you need too much of an introduction. But if you want to give us a little bit of background on your water polo career um, in a minute or two, that'd be great. Born in Brazil, moved out here when I was super young. Dad was coach. Um, I started as a eight years old playing playing polo and played baseball, both water polo and baseball, throughout my career. And then when I was 14, I was the ball boy in the 96 Olympics and just fell in love. Saw those guys, what it meant to be an Olympian, what it meant to win a gold medal when the Spanish won. And basically from that point on, I was dedicated to do whatever it took to be an Olympian and be the best. So for four years, I woke up 530 in the morning, trained before school, after school. Three years later, I was uh, the youngest player ever to make the Olympic team at uh, 18 years old. Wow. Um, Went on to Stanford for four years. Then played professional in Italy, Montenegro, Croatia, and Brazil for basically 15 years and retired in the 2016 Olympic Games and now started 6-8 Sports. Tell us a little bit more about 6-8 Sports and some of the other things you've been doing since you've retired. Yeah, you know, what I what I realized was like when I was playing and I was going over and all they have all these like people come and help you with your future, right? What is your job going to be? I basically realized that everyone in our sport either becomes a coach or they go make real money in a real thing. (laughs) The problem is like, when you become a a great coach or a coach, it's like in the end, all the other coaches are now competing with you. So as much as a guy like Adam Wright from UCLA, in my opinion, or all the coaches, I mean, even Sean Stringham from Utah, they they have so much to give, but now he's competition with someone else. So they aren't able to do as much. Um, and then, of course, the players who go make real money, they're involved in their own lives and it's tough for them to come and give back. So I realized that, like, I got to try and do something. I don't want to be a coach. I think this sport needs a change. And the big thing I realized as I was starting to think about creating a professional league is that we need stats. I mean, we can't we can't even no one knows how many games I played, goals I scored, assists, like what made me a great player. Right. We know Kobe, every single history from his entire career, and yet in water polo, you don't know anything. And so one of the first things we started doing was we created these, these uh, measurables so that kids from around the world could say, hey, I'm weak here. Look where I am compared to all the other kids in the U.S. This is what I need to work on. Because I, I would go around doing camps, and there's kids, and you guys know, 
with just as much, if not more, talent than some of the kids we have on our Olympic teams or national ODP teams. But unfortunately, those kids start too late or they, they don't have the proper fundamentals. And fundamentals takes years to learn, right? right? Getting faster, getting stronger, even understanding the game, not as long. To teach someone how to egg beat correctly over their hips, pick up a ball. I mean, if you're 17 years old, it, I, I'm not, I, I don't have two years, three years to teach you how to egg beat or do that correctly. So that's one aspect of it. The other aspect, well, now we've turned into just hundreds of gotten up to, I think, like 400 videos for kids to do things at home and look, work on technique and work on drive defense. But the other big, big part of what we do is we have an iPad um, app called the Game Desk. And what that does is that's for a coach or for every game where you sit there and you input the basic scores and it exports to every athlete's phone all of their stats so that we as a sport are collecting it, they are collecting it, and then obviously we see percentages and things like that. And look, I've had this conversation with many of a coach saying, well, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, how important is stats at 10 years old? Not, not important. Stats aren't important for the 10-year-old. But if that 10-year-old turns out to be a stud, or if that 10-year-old doesn't make it, that's when stats come in. That's when we can say, hey, this kid was playing 70 games a year and got injured at 11 years old, and he's one of 1,000. Maybe we should think about the amount of games we play. Or we can look in the 10-year-old in Cali and the 10-year-old in Texas, the 10-year-old in Pennsylvania, and say, hey, look at the differences of what they're doing and where they are. Let's try and fix this so that our entire country is where it should be it's better. Right. Right. That's right. So, so what are some, like, uh, what are just off the top of my, I mean, you know, obviously people track, you know, at high school level, we're tracking goals and assists. Are there any kind of unique stats that you guys think are important that maybe, maybe regular, you know, coaches and water polo players might not think to look at? Well, earned ejection is one, right? Okay. Playing time. Cause I want to okay. see, here's the, here's what we've seen with playing time is I'll go to a game and the club obviously wants to win. And I, I'm talking about mostly out here, right? Where a club goes and it wants to win. I, I, I look at the game and see after a game, three players touch the ball, so possession, 90% of the time and played the entire game. There were two players who touched a little, and then there's four players who played a lot but didn't touch the ball. So after a game, I can go and say, hey, I, this guy – these guys are shooting a lot and getting a lot of touches, but this guy needs to do a lot more ball handling. He's playing a lot. Or I can go back and say, there's five kids that aren't playing at all. And, and how are they supposed to develop if they're going on their clubs and their teams and they're playing and the top four guys, rightfully so, are playing so much more? As long as you know that, we can start helping that kid in training. He needs to get more reps because he's not getting them in games, right? right. Or put him on the B team so he can get reps on the B team and then he, he'll be better on the A-team. So that earned ejection shot blocks, like, come on, man, shot blocks. We, that's, that's huge, right? Right, um, yeah. And, and, and little stuff like that. We literally can track anything, and that's what's yeah. great about it. Good. Yeah, one thing I really like about the 6-8 Sports app is you've got a ton of videos on there, and especially for those of us who don't have access to pools right now, I know a lot of coaches and a lot of kids are looking for various drills to do, and there's obviously a lot on that app. For those kids at home right now, what are some drills could really benefit them when they get back into the pool? I'm an optimist. So I 
I believe that this actually there's there's and I call this generation the COVID generation, right? Where I, I truly believe that there's going to be 20 percent of the of the kids that are going to come out of this and be the smartest, best generation we've had. And, I, and mark my words, because one of the things our weaknesses in this country on the men's side, the women's side are, are, are far, far above is our our game awareness. We are just nowhere near the rest of the world, right? I mean, it's talking about Europe. So how can we change that? Well, you need to watch more games. You need to follow athletes. But you don't have, the kids don't have time, man. You know, they got 50 million extracurricular, and the two minutes they have off, they're going to check Instagram, make sure they look good, or someone posted right. about them, right? Or TikTok or whatever it is. Now, these kids, and I've been telling them, because as a kid, when I watched a game, my dad never asked me, hey, you know, what do you think of the game? Before every game I ever watched, he goes, watch that player. Because when I watched a player, I learned so much more than watching um, the game in general. So one of the things we're doing is we're releasing a game every other day and asking the kids on our app, they can go to the My Games and score a player and see if they're equal to us. And I'll tell you what's impressive. We've had two people out of the 200, we've just done two videos that have responded that are correct. So that means... They're missing valuable things like a block, an right. earned ejection. So that means they're not understanding the game correctly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think that this is a huge time for us to get smart. And then the second thing physically, when you see all the videos, what's going to happen is this is probably going to go on, unfortunately, I think for at least a month and maybe a little longer. So the moment this ends, what are these kids going to do? They're going to get right back in the water. And coaches and clubs are going to go, 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 go. Well, there's going to be a smallest amount, this same group that's doing extra, getting that edge where they're going to go every day. They're going to work on shoulder strength, core, hip flexibility, things that are important to the sport and injury prevention. And then three days a week, they're going to do something high intensity so that they're staying in shape. Some run or, you know, all out burpees for you know a couple minutes, like things like that to stay in shape. Those are the ones that are going to come back and flourish. And I'm telling you right now, there's going to be a huge increase in the amount of injury because kids are sitting at home. They're eating like they're used to eating, which without training the amount they're training, they're getting even bigger. <laughs> and the moment they come back, I'm telling you, you're going to see tons of injury. But I think that the ones who are focused and do it right are going to be, like I said, the COVID generation that right. that maybe brings us our first gold, man. I don't know. I'm, like cool. I said, I'm an optimist. Real quick, just to kind of uh, reiterate that, where what's the name of the app again? And like, where can where can kids find this? So it's Six Eight Sports app in the iTunes Store okay. or the the App Store, right? It's a free to download. If you use the code at Home USA Water Polo, it's free for a month. Otherwise, it's a dollar ninety nine a month. And then the game scoring is only on the iPad or a tablet, and that's the Six Eight Game Desk. Okay. And that's really for coaches, and we're about to launch the final of that. But what you can see, pretty much what we have in there now. We're going to pivot a little bit uh, and talk. I think, Ray, we're going to jump on the Olympics right now. You want to uh, start yep. off with that? I mean, obviously, the big news from this last week was that the 2020 Olympic Games were being postponed until July of 2021. Obviously, there's been a lot of talk about this in the news. But when you heard that announcement last week, what, just, what were some of the initial thoughts that ran through your head? Well, I was on the call the, the Monday before that happened, right? So I kind of knew and heard everyone's point of view. You look, look it, it's the right call. It, it, by no means are we, sit, we, we should be sitting here. There were athletes 
that are in 100% lockdown in Italy where thousands of people have already died, right? And hundreds right. like dying every day that are sneaking out and putting their lives at risk to train. That's not fair. Well, that's that's yeah. not okay, right? And then the other aspect was, you know, Japan itself. The person I want to applaud here is the Japanese Federation. Like no one gives them the benefit of the doubt. The, the IOC again, they had to make a tough decision and they have all everything to deal with with the sponsors, but the one who had the hardest decision was Japan because now they have to do, do another year. They've invested billions. This was on record to be the best Olympics ever in history, right? And now they have to redo everything, wait another year, sponsorships right. are going to bail. Like, it's, a, it's much more than we even thought about for the athlete's point of view. Now, I'm talking about we sh that's 100% the right call. But now we can look back in, the, in an athlete's point of view. They understand, everyone I've talked to, that it's the right decision, but they are devastated. You have, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the men's side as an example. These guys, the way we make a living is overseas, right? They had like six or seven or even eight guys living overseas playing professionally. With this tragedy, money in Europe, probably not going to be there. And if the money's not there, then they're not going to be able to go over there and make some money. So what are they going to do? Stay home? So now they don't get that experience and they don't get money. That's tough for them. And then for some of them, like a Jesse going to his fifth, now it's another year of training right. for him. And there's so many great athletes, Hungary, you know, Spain, where these athletes, it's, it's going to be tough, right? Knowing Maggie, being my partner, talking with her all the time. It's, she gets it. She supports it. But, wow, a whole nother year nonstop. The Olympics is crazy when you put your focus and what we go through. And then to find out a couple months, oh, you're going to have to do that all again. is like, whoa, 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 what? And I, I mean, I think everyone agrees that it was the right decision. But I think sometimes the sacrifice of some of the athletes here is, hasn't been talked about um, as much. And clearly, you guys put in a lot of work over a year leading up to these events um, that maybe in water polo, unlike the NBA players who are still just going to go back to the NBA and then show up to the Olympics, it's a little bit different for some sports like water polo. So. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're, you're going, you're talking like, you know, seven to eight hour days and you take the women's team, all of those girls out of college, all of those, all of those women, the whole year, everyone together, Full-time. They started full-time in, like, October. Man, that's why they're the best in the world. They started October, and now they're told, hey, guess what? you got to miss probably another year of school. you got to right. do this again. It, it's tough. It's tough. Again, right decision, but tough. Right. And another thing we in the Midwest were bummed about was the 2020 FINA International Tournament was going to be held in Indianapolis in April, which was – going to be the first time the men's team had played here since 2015 and the first time the women's team had played here in any recent memory so just wanted to ask you a little bit i know you were in chicago in 2015 when uh we played again when the u.s played against serbia you just talk a little bit about your memories from from that game yeah best game ever man <laughs> like i you know we it's funny because i i probably have three no probably four super memorable games where the crowd was insane um one up north at stanford one down south at los alamitos against russia on fourth of july 
and one in that one in Chicago and another one in Texas. Like these, the the games, the the atmosphere, the people, the fans. I mean, there were hundreds of people waiting outside the even yeah. get in. This is the, this is exactly what we need to be doing. That was such a great game. It's so unfortunate that we're not going to be able to have hold this. I was looking forward to go out there. I was going to be you know uh, be a presence. Hopefully, was going to announce with NBC out there. Uh, but it looks like you know we'll we'll see what the future holds on that. But I you know I think John and and USA Water Polo. I think everyone's starting to get the picture and and, and they're doing a great job of trying to get events out there. But the, we need more. The bottom line is more than there is now. Like that would have been a great tournament, but we need more. Like we had in Texas, we had women and, and ourselves, and same deal. Well, like where do you see? Like where do you see the sport heading in the next ten years? Like what is the U.S. doing well? What do we need to do better? Look, we do do a good job of, of getting a ton of people playing the game. More and more of these tournaments are popping up. I don't think that's the, the greatest thing. We do have probably the most money <laughs> of any federation in the, in the world, right? So we're doing a good job of getting the money to give back to the resources. I would say one of the reasons we partnered with ODP was to help and support that program uh, by using measurables instead of just, you know, whatever coach was there, club coach was there kind of saying what he wanted to say. Let's also have some, some, some basic numbers behind this, like an SAT. Uh Um, But I'd say what we need to get better at is across the board. We need data on every, on everyone. And that's, that's ultimately where if I, if I had my dream in 10 years, six, eight sports, USA, water polo, American, you know, all of us together have it. We have data for over 10 years of athletes from every state. We know where the weaknesses are. We know where the, the, the coaching weaknesses are. We can fix it. And in 10 years, we have more athletes playing on the higher level at colleges in the U.S. and on the national team. And I think the only way to do that is not through just these little camps or you know, a, a regular ODP is going through and getting the numbers from these kids. Let's, right. let's see it. Let's see it. So we can go back. I do camps now and I'll go off to Chicago and I will know the kids, some of the kids that are there exactly their weaknesses and I can work with them a little more. So now you, I've had multiple kids that I've worked with just three years in a row, but I've kept track of all that because I have it here. We need to do that across the board. Coaches need to do a better job of supporting that. You know, again, we're in this sport where for some reason we all fight with each other. And it's like, why? The bigger, the better the sport is, the better it is for all of us. Let's, right. let's get these numbers. And then I think where we're dropping the ball is coaching education. I think that's the biggest. I, we're, I can't believe we don't have a coaching certification. I think uh, in general, that's, that's our biggest weakness where we, we need to fix. We're going to throw in some more fun questions here. You've obviously played in Italy, Croatia, all over the world. Uh, best place in the world to watch a water polo game. Croatia. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, Croatia. And why, why I mean, Croatia? It, it's, it's their national. Uh, you know what? It's a tough one. Montenegro <laughs> and Croatia, both those places. And I'm going to tell you, they, I, in Montenegro, they're, both of them, man. Uh, uh, there's fire. The fans are so passionate. There are fire in the stands there's always someone getting kicked out (laughs) there's uh you know the the atmosphere everyone has a song for when you score they're cheering your name there's no better place i like i I have a story where i finished a game in croatia 
and we lost to Partizan, which is a Serbian team, right? They're amazing. And we lost to them. And I go to a restaurant with my wife, and the guy tells me to leave. And I said, what, what do you mean leave? <laughs> and he says, I'm sorry, you're making the customers unhappy, uh, uncomfortable. I'd like you to leave, please. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Well, as I'm sitting here in my house waiting for the uh, COVID epidemic to pass, I will uh, start planning my trip to Croatia. Or <laughs> so, Please do. All right. Um, any favorite pregame ritual or snack you would always go to? For me, you know, practice practices were so gnarly, right? Like I, I was a guy where most people liked were, you know, you'd like me on deck, but you didn't like me in the water during practice because I pushed you to your limit, right? I wanted to see what everyone's cracking point is because when you do that, you see where um, if they are going to crack A or B, where their weaknesses are. Because if this is your teammate that you're giving your entire life for, you need to know that. The ones you can trust and the ones you can't trust. So I was crazy in practice and was thinking of games so much when we played a Serbia, whoever it is, just over and over and talking with guys like Adam Wright and Merrill Moses and, and Ryan Bailey. Like, hey, well, you know, what do you think? What, let's do this. Let's try that. That I just needed calm. So every before game I had a ritual, I would wake up, coffee and read the newspaper and right before the game, I've had, I'd have an espresso, and I'd save a part of the, new, the section, like, you know, the front page, something that's not the sports, and just read and not think anything about it. And the moment I was on the bus, it was game time. We're talking a little bit about leadership and captains on our high school teams and stuff like that. Um, and you obviously are a leader in your own right. Um, but having played all over the world and on the national team, there had to be other players that maybe you admired or they had skill sets in the leadership realm that you were like, wow, that was, you know, I really respect the hell out of that guy. So um, like, what do you, what do you look for in leaders and what, what did, were there players out there that you really respected and why? You know, I think one of the coaches that actually helped me a lot with leadership was Terry Schroeder, right? He was a leader on his own and he, um, he had a lot of talks with me about how the more, you know, that if I needed to be willing to give a little bit of myself for the better of the team. And I knew that before. And I was always one that would be like, hey, look, you know, you're not criticizing me in a video. I need to be criticized. Um, and when you start doing that as a leader, when you sh people are seeing you take criticism, listen, um, be humble, they follow. Right. And it's easier for you to talk to them. So guys that I looked up to. I mean, Chris Oding, who's the assistant coach of the women's national team, he was my first captain. He was a great captain. I mean, spoke to everyone differently, understood how, how to lead a team, how everyone kind of worked. Um, you can't join a clique if you're a, a captain, right? You right. kind of got to be yeah. – uh, everyone's got to be able to be there and trust you. Manuela Stiardi, six-time Olympian from Spain, that's who got me into loving this sport. Uh, I mean – wanting to that was my idol growing up and this is a guy who i could just see him every single player wanted him on their team and it was basically because of how hard he played and would do anything for the team and it and those are little things that really inspired me so those two guys and you know another one is just is even maggie and hearing how she cares so much about her team i mean I cared about my team, but like I, she cares about that. Those girls care about each other. Like right. maybe it's just girls <laughs> and guys, but like they really care. But that's why they're so successful in hearing her. So, I mean, I'd, I'd say those are my three. Awesome. Okay. Uh, Ray, you got anything else? 
I do not. Thanks again, Tony, for coming on with us. I know just want to extend your welcome to the Midwest at any point. We love having all the national teams come out, but I know that Janai and uh, you've been coming to Chicago, but we love having you guys come out and promote water polo in the Midwest. Yeah. All well, right. thank, look, thank you guys for doing this. I mean, the more people are listening and talking to water polo, I think the better it is. So keep it up. Thanks for supporting the sport. Yes. You are the man. Thank you. <laughs>